All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. This is episode 84, the Mikhail Grabowski episode. As we, we welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. Frankie, how you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Buddy, there is lots happening uh, right now. Not a, not a slow news season in the NHL this year. No, it's good. There's lots of storylines. Um, hey, it was there a second biter for all of our Seinfeld fans? Was there a second biter involving the uh, suspension? It was a unique one that, it, you know, it's five games for uh, Brendan Lemieux. Uh, him and his father become the only father son in NHL history to each be suspended for biting. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting. You're, you wrote the article and you had it about the explanation regarding, well, there wasn't enough proof to say he bit him twice. Who else would have bit him? Well, here's the the best part about the entire thing is in the hearing, Brendan Lemieux says that he did not bite Brady Kachuk. Come on. Did, did not bite him. Not so once. he he contest no, not not at all. He contested the entire thing, which I think as much as we want to laugh at it because there's like video evidence of him chomping on it the still shots of it are like amazing. You could see his teeth, like he's raring to go. It might've saved him games. I was thinking that this was probably somewhere around eight games. Tim Peel on the daily Faceoff show said 10, but if you can't prove with video evidence that a second bite did occur, it's like the old, we think the puck is over the goal line. We're pretty sure it is, but we can't see it for proof. They don't have the evidence to give him more than five games. And that's what played out. Yeah. So a single bite is five games. What's a double bite? Eight, 10? Like what? I, I, I'm with Tim and thinking that it should have been 10. But if yeah. you, you know, they could only prove that one bite happened. And so I think Brady Kachuk sitting there going, hold on a second. What do you think happened to my other hand? Yeah, like, come on. Like, I shouldn't laugh at this because it's... But it's, sure... it's preposterous that we're talking about it. It's preposterous that a grown man bit another one yes. on the meaty part of their hand. 
And then claimed he didn't do it. Like, hey, another, I love Seinfeld. So I'll make no one another, wants to be known as a biter. Yeah, I'll make another reference, Frank. Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. A yeah. classic George Costanza line. Yeah. So, um, well, he might a, lie so much that he actually believes it. Yeah. Well, hey, that's the whole thing. So it's, uh, it's too bad those two teams. But uh, trust me, I think there'll be lots of people watching when Ottawa plays LA next season nope. because Brady nope. Kachuk. He's got old school, like he will take care of his own business. And, no, and no, Brendan no. Lemieux You're will getting probably... it wrong. You're getting yeah. it wrong. What, what yeah. we need to watch for is big brother, Matthew, March 31st. I guarantee, I will guarantee you. think you he'll fight him? 100%. Okay. 100% big brother will come in and clean house. If yeah, but little brother's, little brother's tougher. He might be, but Matthew ain't scared. No, no, I know he's not scared. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I can respect it, this that. This has now become a family rivalry. You know, you, you, know, you think back to, uh, you know, to Big Walt going at it with, with Claude Lemieux over the years. I, I mean, this is like a full-blown, like, he then called him, like, Brady called him a brickhead. That's said no name. one likes him. They're like, there's a lot of layers to this. And I know Calgary and L.A. square up somewhat soon. Uh, Brendan is obviously suspended. March. That's the date to circle right. on your calendar. March 31st. Okay. Well, most people, anybody out there who's listening, who has a sibling, there's certain rules of the sibling fraternity. If you, someone you know, bit my brother, I would beat the tar out of them. Yeah. Now, if you bit your brother, you'd be like, well, he deserved it. But if someone else, but I would never brother, bite my brother. This well, is course. the key in the yeah. whole thing. Is, I, know, but I'm I just would saying. never bite. No one should be biting anyone. Well, of course not. But I'm saying the point is in the brother fraternity, like if you chirp your own brother and make fun of something, that's allowed. 100%. But the yeah. minute someone else does it, you're like, no, 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 no. Like it's an amazing, yeah. it's an amazing thing how brothers Me and my will brother are like oil and vinegar, like we oil and water. We do not. Like, you know, we have our moments to be 100% certain, but if anyone, I, cause I played hockey with my brother too, I'm um, two grade levels older, 18 months older. And if anyone touched him in a game, I'd be all oh, yeah. over them. Hundred percent. No, I, t- I totally get it. It's a, it's amazing how it works. So yeah, that's, that's a fair one. Maybe we'll see uh, older brother come in, but the funny thing is younger brother, I think might be tougher. He's bigger. So It'll make it fun. But uh, Lemieux, um, see, I'm I'm a guy. I don't condone the biting at all. It's terrible. Let me say that full stop. It's awful. He deserves the suspension 100%. But having villains in the game is good. When Matthew Kachuk single-handedly reignited the the uh, Battle of Alberta by going after uh, Cassian, and then, he, and then he fought him later, so I gave him a lot of credit. We The NHL needs that. Like, you need guys that other fan bases and other teams hate. I firmly believe that. Take any villain and whatever they do and shoot it right into my veins. Like I, I live for that stuff because it makes you want to watch. It makes you tune in. The Lemieux family has done a really good job at that over the years and seems to revel in that. So I don't know, maybe they're doing something right. Maybe it's, maybe it's giving Brendan a little staying power. Yeah. Uh, Frank, Jake DeBrusque camp comes out, uh, man, the, the Boston fans, uh, all over him, booing him. And he asked for a trade and you know, I understand why he asked for a trade. I think he wants out, uh, you know, people that I've talked to, he doesn't really care at this point where he goes, Frank, uh, you know, he might go to a team that's not as competitive as Boston. He just wants a refresh. He wants a complete restart. And, uh, you know, he's got 60 games maybe by the time he gets traded, maybe only 55 to, uh, to have a good bounce back year. And then if a team doesn't qualify him, he can become a UFA because he needs to be qualified at 4.85 mil. Yeah. And I think when you look at it, I'm not really certain that I understand the response from Bruins fans. Like this is a really nuanced conversation. Like this is not Jake DeBrusque, not liking your city or not liking your team or playing there. It's Jake DeBrusque not seeing eye to eye with Bruce Cassidy. That's what it comes down to. I mean, Bruce Cassidy has not been shy in throwing Jake DeBrusque under the bus, criticizing his defensive zone, attention to detail, his effort level, healthy scratching him multiple times. I mean, this has swirled down the drain from what was once a really promising player in the Boston Bruins franchise, 27 goal scorer as a 2021 year old, like, 
how, how do you, if, if you are running that team, maybe you throw your arms up and you say, you know, stuff like this sometimes happens, but it, it feels to me like a little bit of a failure. And, and to be fair on both sides, on the DeBrusque side as well, that it's gotten to this point. Now, I would agree on that. There's always two sides and you have some responsibility, but this is one that I think, you know, goes back many years. This is not just the first time. I think there's always been Cassie maybe feels like DeBrusque can give him more and DeBrusque maybe feels like, hey, you know what, from a rookie, you know what, uh, you've been really hard on me and you know, called me out at different times. So I think it's one at times where it's just, it's meant to part ways. And, and I'll be curious. Now, the other thing I mentioned, he has to be qualified at 4.8. That doesn't mean he automatically goes to free agency. A team might really like him and says, well, Hey Jake, we'll sign you to a contract, but it's probably not going to be at 4.8 because on the free agent market, you know, we've seen Andre Athanasiu and many other players who, who turned down their qualifying offer only to go to free agency and make way less. And even when teams offered them, like I know Edmonton offered Athanasiu 2 million, even though, qualifying offer is three said no and then he ended up signing for 1.2 million in la right it happens actually with somewhat regularity and there's some interesting names that will pop up this year that popped up on our trade targets list of guys that uh ultimately need to be qualified that probably won't end up signing for what their qualifying offer is maybe ends up being you know a bit lower than that when you look at you know, not just DeBrusque with the season that he's having, but Dylan Strom is another perfect example in Chicago, 3.6 million minimum qualifying offer. Like he's, he's got three points in 12 games. Like it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely not. Now I want to move to now Kevin Epp. I like him. He's a good agent, Frank, but there's one thing that's really been bugging me lately. And, and it resonates a lot uh, in the NHL. You're in Philadelphia. I'm not like when we talk about some of the toughest fans in the, in North America, you're going to say the flyer fans, they, they have been ruthless at times. We've seen it. I would add in Bruins fans as well. Yeah. The, the NFL last I checked, is pretty big. There's a lot of markets where if you're an NFL player in that city, there's a lot of heat on you for media and fans. I'm Kevin Epp trots out that, well, players don't want to go to Vancouver because the media is hard. Give me a break. Can we stop with that garbage? Like, I'm sorry, because if that's the case, then no one would want to go to NFL markets because trust me, when you're not winning, no market's fun, whether it's the media, whether it's the fans, no one likes covering a team that sucks. No one likes going to a team that sucks all the time. The Canucks are seven years now. They're 28th in points percentage in the last seven years. What, what are the stories yeah. supposed to be? Wow, this is doing everything great. Like I, I just blame the management for not having a good team. Stop trying to blame media as the reason why players don't go there. Because guess what? Players don't go to teams because they suck. That's the main reason. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair point. Um, I do think not to nitpick at what you're saying. And, and I think it would be very odd by the way, if like you're saying the team has been this bad, no meaningful success to speak of. And they were painting a rosy picture at this point that like, it'd be bizarre. And this, this isn't a knock at all on, the Vancouver media, I think that market in general, that fan base in general has a quicker boiling point than many others in the league. Is it fair to say that? Like, it seems like they're always up in arms about something, but you know, why is like, so like go back to the beginning of the season, like they were up in arms before a game was even played that Zach McEwen. And I forget the other player were claimed off on waivers. Gojanovic to San Jose. Who cares? Why? Like, not to say, like, not to sh- to poop on on Zach McEwen or or Jonah Gajevich. Like, why is that something to get worked up about? Like, I don't think any other market even pays attention to that. So you can look at that one of two ways: either they're super passionate and into it, which is a problem that I'd say twelve to fifteen other markets wish they had, or they just for whatever reason, seem to get lathered into a frenzy quicker than others. Is that fair? Like, is that a fair way to respond to what you're saying? 
Um, at times, but here's the thing. I actually think I w- like the last five years, Horvat, Elias Pedersen quit. Like there's been tons of positive articles written about that team. They had their one run in the bubble where that, you know, they won around and people were excited, but overall the, I actually thought at times, I, I think it's the, more a commentary on the marketplace, not the media is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, the fan, but I see to me, I've always said this about fans. I, fans are supposed to be fanatical. They're not supposed to be rational. I don't, that, that kind of takes away the, uh, the fun of it, but, but Epps specifically, you know, had mentioned the fan. And the funny thing is now when you say media, media is a really small percentage when you look at social media, right? There's yep. way more fans on social mm-hmm. media than there ever is media. And they can, you know, you can retweet comments from any fan that can, depending on what it is, can, can get a lot more traction than an article nowadays. That's what social media does. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes it's more the negativity stuff in life overall that, that gets spread quicker. But I just, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this claim that somehow NHL players can handle the criticism of playing in a hockey mad market. Well, you know what's funny? I've talked to a lot of players who love it. They love being where hockey's yeah. number one. And if yeah. you go into a lot of American markets, Frank, now there are a lot of guys though that love playing in relative anonymity. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think there's going to be a mix of it. But but I just And there's I, other markets where you can get a blend of both. Yeah. 100%. Like I think the New York Rangers are a perfect example. As big of a deal as the Rangers are in the NHL and as big as their fan base is, New York City is so freaking big and oh, there's yeah. so many different entertainment options. Most of those guys walk on the street. No one has a single clue who they are. I remember one time I was leaving the garden and Rick Nash walked out the same door I did, went and got on the subway and went home. Like no one has any clue. Yeah. And so that part, if you want to say people like to not be in a city because there's anonymity that I respect, but don't start saying, well, they don't want to play there because the media is negative. Like, I'm sorry, Kevin, I just strongly disagree with it. It's a lame take. It's been going on for far too long and it needs to stop. It happens mm. in the NHL. I don't read about that in the NBA or in the NFL. Yeah, very much. It's it weird. We never NHL hear that. Thing. Yeah. Right. When, so when I just one, think, stop it. One, uh, well said. And one thing I wanted to hit on quickly before we bring Tyler Uremchuk in for fill in the blank. Another story I'm tired of is Arizona Coyotes. And will they sell? Will they not? Will they relocate? Like someone just put this story out of its misery once and for all. Either yes. build them a brand new building somewhere and actually get it done instead of go through six iterations of this or just rip the bandaid off and pull the plug. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. I'll totally agree. I, I just, I can't believe that it, it comes up. And, and I think the relocation to Houston makes a ton of sense for so many reasons. Geographically, to, they're in the central division, play them in the central time zone. For once, the big sticking point in the NHL leaving Phoenix was, hey, this is one of the biggest metropolitan markets in the NHL, in the United States in general. We can't uproot and leave that. Think about how many potential television households were, were losing. Well, Houston's a tad bigger. So yep. I, I, uh, I, I think that it, it, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. I'm with you. It, make, it makes too much sense, Frank. It makes too much sense. Let's bring in Tyler Uremchuk. Let's let's do a little fill in the blank brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. Promo code rundown DD gets you 25% off your first order and no delivery fees. Fill in the blank. I got four questions lined up for you guys. Frank, you got your first trade targets uh, article of the year over at dailyfaceoff.com. A few names on there that really caught my attention that I wasn't expecting, like Hornquist, JT Miller, Brian Rust in that mix as well. First question, I'll start with you on this one, Frank. The most surprising name on your trade target list is? Probably Hornquist. And I got the most pushback from him is like no chance the Florida Panthers with as well as they're playing trade Patrick Hornquist in season. And I think the in season caveat is really fair. I guess the reason I put him on the list is really just to set the agenda as far as where this ends up going at some point. He makes $5.3 million. His minutes, he's playing almost four fewer minutes per game this season compared to last season. His point production's way down. He has another year left on his deal. And what we've seen from Bill Zito is he's willing to do whatever he can, whether it's trading Brett Connolly, Anton Strallman, to get out from under contracts that are messing up his salary cap and, and inhibiting him from doing other and pulling off other transactions. So 
my guess is at some point now, later this summer, that at some point Patrick Hornquist will find a new home. And at a half a point per game, he's actually still pretty productive given the somewhat limited minutes he's played. Well, I can't take that answer. So I'll go with uh, Riley Smith because I think now I understand why he's on there. There's a one side that makes a lot of sense um, because they would maybe want to upgrade at that position. And he's a UFA, but I think they, they don't still have a, like without, well, when Alex Tuck comes back, then they got another top six guy, but they don't have to me enough offensive depth, even when they get Eichel and everybody healthy. So um, I've always said, I felt like that's the one Achilles heel in Vegas is they don't have enough of it. So if they traded one, they're going to have to upgrade to trade to trade Riley Smith in my eyes offensively. So that would, I guess, be my surprise guy. But doesn't the upgrade come from activating Jack Eichel? Like I know they They play different positions, but yeah, yeah, they need to make room for him. And the way I look at it is it's a nice way for Vegas to kind of blend going for it now and trading Riley Smith, but also keeping an eye on their future as well, because they likely get some decent picks back in return. And when you've traded away a lot of your picks to get something back to try and restock your cupboard, you think back to Nick Felino last year, a first and two fourths. Well, Riley Smith, I think would net even better than that. Now, I, and I misspoke. I meant to say now that Alex Tuck's gone, obviously he's not there as right, the, right. the top six mm-hmm. guy. So. We got the Jack Hughes extension earlier this week. And I think everyone right now, I mean, obviously he's a guy who hasn't hit the level of a number one overall pick. It's a bit of an overpay. The question is in four years, the Jack Hughes deal will look blank for the devils. Jason. See that that's a great question, Ty, because if it's an eight year deal and the first three years are a big overpay and then he just lives up to that, then it's still an overpay. He is, is Jack Hughes going to be in four years worth more than 8 million. Cause I don't think he's going to be worth that in the first three. I'm going to say no. So I still think in four years, it'll be a slight overpay because I don't think he's going to make enough above eight mil to make the first few years of overpay and worth it. I agree with you. I was going to say my answer for the fill in the blank part would be market value that four years from now, you know, if Jack Hughes continues to progress and I like Jack Hughes as a player, I just think this deal is fraught with risk for the reasons you mentioned for I don't, I don't know why this was necessary. Like, yeah, why wouldn't, it too. why wouldn't you have just gotten through this year and then say, Hey, if he delivered at this number, then we'd give him eight times eight. Yeah. But I, I mean, geez, what, like he's got 55 points in 120 career games. That doesn't get you 64 million. Yeah. Maybe they'll get a discount on Luke Hughes's deal and, you know, keep in the family overpaid Jack, save on Luke and one day I never know. Uh, third one for you, the Detroit Red Wings, they're holding on to the top wildcard spot right now in the Eastern conference. And uh, I mean, it's 25% of the way through the season. It's impressive what the wings are doing. Your question is the Red Wings have a blank percent chance of making the postseason this year, Frank. Four. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's insanely low. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say we talked uh, a, a week or 10 days ago about the California teams and which one of those teams would get in. My thought has changed not to do a total 180. Anaheim ducks look like they might be legit. They're hanging in tough. Well, that has nothing to do with the red wings, Gregor. <laughs> um, geez, I'm, I'm really I answered sorry. The question though. Yeah, yeah you, you did. did. You did. Good job. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Detroit fans. I'm going to say zero. I don't, uh, oh. I don't think they make the playoffs. You couldn't even four give wins. them a charity four. Well, you know what? What's wrong well, with you? Hey, you know what? Because a charity four is just sitting on the fence. I'm going to stand on my side. Oh, okay. <laughs> so right. I sit and you stand. That's how it yeah. works. All right. Hey, you said uh, it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, points bet bonus question. Right Ooh. now, over at points bet, you can still bet on their futures for the season. Their Stanley Cup favorites are the Avs, followed by the Lightning, Panthers, Golden Knights, and Maple Leafs. Your question is your favorite to win the Stanley cup is blank. Jason. Well, I'm going to stick with the team. I picked at the start of the I year. Knew the I knew it. I knew he was going to say this. I like them. They're deep, man. Like I like their team a lot. And you know, Patrick Hornquist, I hope they don't trade him. Cause I think he's a guy who's who, who can really help in the postseason. but I like their goaltending. I, I think they're still going to add one more defenseman. I really like him. Now the challenge is going to be, 
you know, finishing first in that division is so crucial because you'll miss the other two teams in that first round. It just Mm -hmm. makes it easier because if you finish second, then you got to beat the third place team who's probably going to be really good. And then probably the first place team. So I'm still going to go with Florida, but not by much. It's very close. Colorado is coming on strong. So on Thursday, Mike McKenna and I on the Daily Faceoff show had to rank our top five Stanley Cup contenders. Kind of felt like I needed a shower after saying the Florida Panthers just because I knew Gregor was all over it. Um, but when you look at it, they've they've got tons of speed. They've been really consistent. Sergei Bobrovsky has played at the Vezina level that he used to be at. There aren't really many holes on that team. You know, it's amazing. Neither one of us in the top five and maybe not amazing given their start. Neither one of us picked the Golden Knights. Uh, I wasn't sure what to do with Edmonton or Calgary. Uh, I don't think Minnesota's gotten enough love, but I'm also not really sleeping on the Tampa Bay Lightning either. Like they're not in it to win in the regular season. That team showed last year they could flip the switch in the playoffs. So what about the Leafs? What about the Hurricanes? Like I there's a lot of interesting decision. It's a really hard question to answer on so December 2nd. who were you? Refresh. Who were your top five? So number one was Florida. Number two, I believe, was Carolina. I had Toronto three. I So Florida, sorry, Florida, Colorado, Toronto, Carolina, Tampa Bay were my five in order. Ooh, four Eastern teams. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. There we go. That's going to do it for another edition of Fill in the Blank, brought to you by DoorDash. You know, what's it's funny, Frank, the, the Edmonton orders just continue to win. They're 16 and five. And, um, you know, they've done it now with with three of their top four defensemen out for short periods of time. Um, you know, their their number one goalie's not there. Edmonton is and I watch them all the time. I'm still like they show signs where I'm just like, man, like the advantage they have is the Pittsburgh game for 40 minutes. I didn't think they were very good and they didn't give up a ton, but they didn't create lots. And then they've just, you've got two, you've got the two best offensive players in the league, no question, and arguably two of the best players in the league. And then one of them on any given night can just flick a switch and score you a big goal and you win a game. You know what it I like? So unpredictable. I liked the unpredictable part of Dave Tippett making a key adjustment in the second intermission to change up his lines after Pittsburgh had played pretty well through the first 40, throw a different look at them. And the Oilers, as you said, just score a bunch of goals and move on. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Daryl Sutter, uh, he still feels that Vegas and Edmonton are the teams to beat. Uh, that might be just a, you know, a typical Daryl Sutter way to keep his team motivated. And, you know, that's a good tie in because we're going to have the GM of the Calgary Flames. Brad Treleman joins us now on the rundown. Our next guest is now the seventh longest tenured general manager in the National Hockey League. His team has been right up there near the top of the Western Conference standings to start this season and really making strides in terms of a lot of the different facets of their game defensively under new coach Daryl Sutter. He is the general manager of the Calgary Flames. Brad Tree Living, thanks a lot for joining us on the DFL Rundown. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? How are you? And thanks for having me on. Overview of of this season to start. Um, Obviously, one of the big things that we've seen from your team to this point has been the consistency. What have you liked about what you've seen from your group? Well, probably number one, Frank, is that is consistency, um, which I think is a really important. You know, the 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 season is long, um, and there's going to be there's you know there's going to be peaks and valleys, but the 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 longer that you can go with stretches of just consistent play, I think it's going to give you the best chance to have some success. So even nights when we haven't been successful in getting points, I've liked how we've played for the most part. Um, so we're putting, we're putting, you know, we're putting the same game on the ice, you know, on a fairly regular basis. Now, having said that, we do realize um, it's early days yet. We're 20 games in. So lots of runway ahead of us, but um, you know how how consistent our game has been. It looks it looks very similar night to night. Um, I really like the way that we've checked and and you know what we've given up, which isn't a lot. You know, to me those are those are sustaining qualities. When you look at you know limiting chances against, not having. Um, you know, sort of those A chances, those, those great A's that we're, we're cutting down on, uh, uh, making teams work for their chances. To me, those are, you know, that's a real foundation of our game. So 
Um, you know, lots to like early. There's still lots to clean up and lots to improve upon. And as I said, for early days. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we know we've got a big, big, long road ahead of us. Mm -hmm. When you look at your team and, you know, going back to last summer and the off season, there were lots of questions about what changes may or may not be coming. And I think maybe sometimes the hardest thing and, and maybe what you haven't gotten enough credit for is, is the belief that you had in the team, because, you know, when there's, you know, consecutive off seasons where there is a lot of clamoring for change, sometimes the hardest thing might not be to do a lot. What was that process like for you in terms of working through that and the conversations that take place um, to really bring back mostly the same group that didn't have success last season? Well, you're right, Frank. I mean, I, number one, when you analyze really the last couple of off seasons, we, as everybody's gone through, it's been a really unique time, right? And and it's been the same for everyone. So so you're you know you're all on on a level playing field. But you know when we really studied our team, you know we we, we took that into consideration. Where there was just there's just a lot of you know there's a lot of different factors that came into play here. Now number so, so you look at that. Number one is okay. Is there ways to improve the team and and, you know, especially when you're in, in, a, in a market like ours, a Canadian market where there's lots of passion, when you don't have the success that you feel that you should. I, like, I, I believe in the group. I think the group, I didn't think it was a bad group. But I thought it was a good group that underachieved. Um, so when you look at it and say, is there ways to get better? I really don't believe that just, you know, throwing bodies on the tarmac is any way to conduct business. Just, just because you make you feel better. You know, we... We didn't have the success that we wanted. So let's just, let's just get rid of people. So, you know, the more we dug into the analysis, our analysis was we have, we have some really good players. Um, the top end of our lineup, we felt are really good offensive players that can produce offense and have really throughout their career, unless there was a chance to improve upon that. You know, we, we really looked at how do we best support them? You know, how do we best support them? And, you know, is there areas in our game that we can improve upon defensively, um, you know, our penalty kill, um, you know, through those avenues and rather than saying we want to replace a bunch of our top players, because it's, it's really, it's nice and easy to say that, but fine, it's hard to get good players and, uh, you know, just change for the sake of change, I don't think is, 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 is a good manner to, to operate under. So, you know, we went under the we went under the, the the plan of how do we best support these people? Um, how do we how do we focus in on some areas that we can help us in the margins in terms and 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 our biggest thing was if we can get our top players back producing at the level that they're capable of producing, and then if we can support them with people that can attack our goals against our shot, um, you know, try to do some shot suppression. Um, and, and, and focus on the defensive side of the puck. Um, that was sort of the plan going into the summer. So, um, you know, as you said, there's, there's, there's always that, especially when you haven't had success, there's that, um, push for, for significant change. Um, we didn't think that that, and we didn't find anything that was going to make our team better. So we chose the route we chose. The one significant change, Brad, of course, was was losing Mark Giordano to the expansion draft, and you know you, you obviously made that decision to leave him exposed, and, and and it's worked out very well. Not and it's not a knock on Mark. It just were, were you confident that guys like Rasmus Anderson, you know, who's playing the most minutes of his career now this year, and, and your other D guys were ready, or do, or is that always a slight gamble as a GM because you never truly know if somebody's ready for a bigger role until they do it? Well, number one, Jason, it was. I mean, we were faced with a dilemma when you know the expansion rules of saying, okay, we've got, you can, if you go under the, if you're protecting three, we felt we had four, four good guys, right? So, um, so our, ours was, we knew all along we were going to be a seven, three and one team. So that creates the problem on defense. So then you look at how do you solve that issue? And, you know, I'll be very clear that, you know, we tried to look at avenues not to, you know, not to lose Mark. Um, but it couldn't be at, at all costs, right? You couldn't, you, you, the, the cost to, to do that really long-term on the franchise, um, 
you know, it, it was a non-starter for us. So then you start looking at if, if, if you go down this road, which, you know, we did, like I said, we wanted to keep Mark. He was a big part of our team, but there is, it's, it's like injuries. It's like anything else. It opens up opportunity for other people. We started, you know, a few years ago, really trying to, to turn over our defense a little bit to the younger players and, you know, you know, the Noah Hannafins and the Rasmus Andersons and, and Oliver Shillingtons and, and, you know, that group of players, Yusuf Valamaki's on the come. So at some point, and these aren't 18 and 19 year old players. These are players that now have been in the league. Um, so at some point you have to, you have to provide opportunity. It's up to the player to grab it and make the most of it, but you've got to give the player the opportunity to, to, to jump in and grab it. And, and it was, you know, it was a function of, you know, a year where we have expansion and we had an issue and, you know, we felt the best move moving forward right now is, is, um, you know, unfortunately, as, as we got closer to expansion, it became real clear that Mark was going to be their selection. And, and, you know, it gave, like I said, as difficult and as, as, uh, as hard as that was, it provided some opportunity for some other guys to grab a little bit bigger, you know, part of the rope here and, and, and they've done real well with it. You mentioned, you mentioned Valimaki, young defenseman, um, you know, he's had significant injury the one year, cost him a whole season, then the lockout. And then this year he's, he's played eight, uh, you know, hasn't played a ton of games early on. Uh, you, you were quoted uh, earlier saying, you know what, now that we're home and we're up for that tough road trip, you know, we'll look at it. Um, how do you balance a young player where the team's winning, but you know, like, like this guy we think is going to be a future. He's got to play. How, yeah. how do you balance that, Brad? And, and what's, what's going to be the plan you think moving forward for him? Well, we've got a plan for him, Jason. And, and like, as, as you said, you know, number one, you know, the coach is going to, the, the coaching staff is going to determine the best lineup to go on the ice every night. And we support that hundred um, percent. We're no different than any other team and any other manager where you also want to manage your, your, your personnel accordingly. And, and you, so is a guy that uh, we think has got real big upside. Um, he's still a young guy, um, you know, but, but, you, you can gain a lot being around the team and practicing and doing all those other things. But at the end of the day, you improve by playing, you improve by getting game reps. So we'll see where we get to this week. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, um, and, and, and people may have misconstrued when I say he's got to play, you know, it might, it might be, he needs some, you know, to get down to Stockton and play some games in there and, and get up, you know, get, get reps in, which is not, you know, which is not a, a bad thing. You know, he just, like any young player, the most important thing at, at, at a certain time is making sure that they're playing um, and getting regular regular reps here. So we'll see how the week unfolds. Um, but we have a lot of faith in you. So I know as a young player, like he, every player, he wants to be playing here. Um, the good thing for us is I think we've got lots of depth on the blue line. Um, it's a long season. We've had, you know, touch, touch wood here as, I, as we talk. We've been healthy. Um, but we think we, you know, not only the players here, but as we get into even some of the players that we have um, in Stockton, we think we've got some depth of the position, but um, getting you so up and moving is, is certainly a priority moving forward. We're 20 some games into the season now, and Andrew Mangiapani is closing in on a career high in goals. He also happens to be in a contract year. How do you evaluate that? Um, in terms of obviously he's been such a key part of your team and what you've done this season, but also it's well beyond the level that he produced at previously when you go to negotiate that contract and have there been any discussions, Brad, to this point on what that might look like? Well, I find that with not just Andrew, all those players, they, the representatives don't really want to hear that. Hey, he's having a good year in a contract. You know, can we get a little discount for that? Cause he had, um, Good for him, number one, and, and good for us. Andrew's Andrew's an important player. He's grown into a really important player. To me, is I, I keep calling it sort of a it's a great example of, of 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 hard work. What hard work does, you know, this is a guy who um, went through a draft has been has been sort of counted out at every level that he's been at. Um, just continues to work at his game every day. If you're around our team. He's usually the last one on the ice, whether it be a practice, morning skate. Um, and so it's really good to see him, you know, get get the, 
you know, get the success and, and, and the results that he's getting. Um, yeah, we've, we've, you know, any, any players that are up or, or in contract years, obviously we've, we've had lots of dialogue with his representative. We look at him as a real big piece of our team moving forward. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue to work through that process. I don't necessarily comment on those things publicly as they're going on. Um, but, uh, you know, we certainly know we have some work to get done there with Andrew and, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put the focus on everything that he's doing on the ice right now and quietly work away at business behind the scenes and, and hopefully at, at some point, uh, get something done. But the focus right now for us is, is the play on the ice and the play of our team and 60 some games that are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I believe you had some conversations with Johnny Gaudreau and his camp uh, in the late summer about what um, the parameters of a new deal might look like moving forward. But to keep the focus to your point on the ice, there's been lots of talk about the way Johnny Gaudreau has fit in with Daryl Sutter and the buy-in factor that you guys have received from him. He's consistently been one of the most you know, one of the top producers in the league, you look at his points per game this year, it's a little bit North of his career average, but if he were to hit the market at some point, he'd be one of the few guys in that point per game range to actually make it there. What have you seen from, from Johnny Gaudreau in terms of how he's meshed with Daryl Sutter and the style of play that you'd like to see from him? Well, I think there's a, you know, it's funny. um, Like I, Johnny's, receive some criticism that I always find is strange because this guy's from the time he stepped into the league has been a productive player. I've been a, been a top player. Um, and he's creative. Um, uh, he's having a, he's had a really good start to the season and, you know, of all his qualities, I think the most underappreciated for Johnny is how competitive, he is. you know, he doesn't get enough credit for, this is an ultra competitive athlete. Um, who wants nothing more than to have team success um, is miserable when we don't have it. Um, and so, you know, when you have that competitive fire, I think, you know, he, he, he's fit very, you know, which it's just a big, you know, a, a strong suit of Daryl's, um, you know, a foundation for Daryl. I think any coach is number one, you know, we want competitive people. And so Johnny is that, I think, you know, he's, he's had no issue as much as Johnny's an offensive player and creating, you know, you look at it, I think it was just up until recently, you know, both him and Matthew, um, you know, were the only two players that hadn't been scored against five on five. So it, it's just a telltale sign of, you know, yeah, they, they, their bread is buttered on the offensive side, but they've bought in fully to making sure that they're doing the right things without it. Um, you know, Johnny's, his play away from the puck, the way he's tracking, the way he, you know, makes sure that he's, if, if the right play is not there, puck's going deep, all those little details, um, you know, he's been, he's been totally bought into. And, and, and guys, at the end of the day, um, those types of things all have to start with your top players, you know, to, to have team success. Certainly everybody's got different roles and responsibilities, but when the messaging from the coaches, you know, we have to play a certain way. You need that buy-in from your top guys and it, and it trickles on down and, and both, both Johnny and, and Matthew and, and, you know, Elias and the guys at the, the you know, the top of the, the food chain here have been leading the way in terms of, um, you know, how we have to play to have success. And, and that's a credit to John and um, he's had a terrific start to the year and hopefully that continues. Brad, I want to move away a little bit from the current time of the Flames and talk a little bit about your career path. And I want to go back to the to the early 1990s. Uh, Brad Treleman, you know, a young, uh, young, big hulking defenseman uh, who grinded it out for six seasons in the ECHL, Brad. And uh, in the night in the early 90s, ECHL was a little bit of a tougher league. I know my brother played in it. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, Mr. Uh, you know, Hampton Rhodes and John Brophy, man. There's some great stories from them. I want to talk about just like there's not a lot of guys who grinded out for six years in the ECHL, right? I think you got 15 games in that time in the AHL. What talk about your love of the game. And, you know, were, were you thinking of what you did as a business guy in 96 while you were playing those first six years in the ECHL, or did that just become kind of a spur of the moment decision after you were done playing? Well, it was a career, Jason, as best described as once promising. And, um, 
I think, you know, for me, listen, we all, the best part of this game is playing. So you, you always you loved playing when you did. I was pretty realistic with my career when I got going. Uh, we all want to be a player. I, I think I realized pretty soon, I maybe 10 camps that, you know, my game and everybody else, the guys that are playing at that, they didn't look the same. Something, you know, that old thing, one of these things is not like the other. Um, so I certainly enjoyed to play, but I, I thought early on that this was going to be a, as much as I enjoyed playing, it's an avenue to something else, right? Like to me, it was a way to make contacts, learn about, um, you know, when I was playing, I, I started working early on in, in, in the offices where I played in terms of the off seasons, get involved in the business side. So to me, it was a, you know, it was a means to an end as much as I enjoyed it. But, you know, I, I felt I wanted to be involved in the business in some way, shape or form when I was done playing. And this was a, this was a avenue to, to, you know, make contacts and learn about it. Um, and it was a great, you know, to me, it was like getting an MBA. You know, you you learned a lot about a lot of those a lot of those early days and those those lessons you learned early you, you use today. So, um, yeah, I, I knew pretty pretty much um, when I started playing professionally that it was it was it wasn't it was going to be in leagues that weren't uh, known by a lot of people and uh, and that uh, if I was to do anything in the game, it was probably going to be off the ice rather than on it. So you played those six years in the ECHL. Then in 1996, you co-founded the Western Professional Hockey League. And then five years later, you were a major part of them uh, merging with the Central Hockey League. But take me back, co-founding a league, man. Um, you must have had a little bit of entrepreneurship from, from your father. I'm, I'm guessing maybe that played a role in the talent. Take me back to 96 and probably even 95 when you started thinking about, you know, founding another uh, professional hockey league. Yeah, it was it was the Wild West. It was fun, fun days. You look back at now and you say, how did we ever do it? And, you know, would you ever do it again? And the answer is absolutely not. Um, it really started a former coach of mine, Rick Kozabak, um, who at the time initially was going to be involved. He had a group of people they were looking to, to buy a team in the East Coast League. So we just started chatting about markets and and so on and so forth. He, he was coaching in the old IHL at that point. And then one thing led to another and and, you know, the idea of saying, well, at that particular time, as you talked about, you had the East, East Coast League that was, you know, geographically just really in the East Coast League or in the East. And there was really nothing, you know, in the central and the western part of the, of the country in terms of that, that we call it the double A level. You had the American Hockey League. And at that time, you had the International Hockey League at the triple A level. This is in that area. They're very familiar with minor league baseball. So we looked at this at the ECHL level. And at that time, it was called the East Coast League. To, to do something in the in the in the central part of the country, the western part of the country, uh, at the double A level, so it 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 became let's look look at starting our own league. So it was really grassroots. It's Rick and I going into different markets, meeting with um, you know city officials, county officials, and in that time, a lot we 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 started in Texas, Louisiana, right through there, and it was a lot of old rodeo barns, and you're trying to convince people to come in here and blow up their arena floor and put in ice. You know, some of these people looked at you like you had two heads and, you know, then eventually you had to go out and, and sell this to people to come in and buy these teams and own these teams in a new fledgling league. So it was a really unbelievable experience. Um, we could talk for days about some of the stories and they are as as wild as they are. But it was it was a great experience. Um, and we, we ended up forming our own company that later on got into building smaller arenas and, and growing the league. And, and as you said, uh, um, you know, the merging and sort of taking over the central league at that point. So it was, it was a great, you know, 12 years for me in terms of learning ins and outs of, you know, every part of the business off the ice. And, uh, um, you know, again, a lot of those lessons I, I carry with me today, but, but an interesting time for sure with some great stories. Now, give me one story, Brad. Tell us one story about your time there that re that's the most memorable for you. Well, there's a lot. I mean, one that we, we, we come back to a lot was, so we were playing in, we had one team in Waco, Waco, Texas. And, um, and so the, the opener there, it's in October. Well, people that are familiar with Texas, it's still warm in October. And as I said, these buildings have 
got no, um, you know, they're old rodeo buildings. So there's no, there's no ventilation. There's no air conditioning. There's no refrigerator or there's no uh, dehumidifier. So we wake up for the, and, and, and you're, you know, you've got an owner and all the rest of it, but you're, I mean, we were stringing nets for rink for uh, gold nets and everything. So you're, you're, you're involved in everything. And I'll remember the, the Waco home opener, we wake up in the morning, look up the news and it's 98% humidity. And I think the temperature is like 90 degrees outside 85 degrees. So you walk into the arena and it's like, it's like a fog bowl. Well, by the end, by the time night comes and they, their team is called the Waco wizards. So they had the big wizard, you know, the mascot and he, repels down well it's literally about 110 degrees in the building by the first intermission we look over and the wizard is being gurneyed off by in an ambulance he's dehydrated they've got him hooked up to a uh they've got an ivs hooked up taken to the hospital for uh um for evaluation so you know you started looking at yourself you said you know the the mascot, the wizard, didn't even make it before he was he was uh, he was taken into the uh, taken into the barracks. So that's just one of many of the the stories. So <laughs> if you were trying to make a business case or a pitch, how do you think this would have gone over on Dragon's Den? <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't have. I would have been dismissed. Uh, it actually worked out well. You know, one of the things, the, the, those, those teams were real successful for a period of time down there. Um, you know, the, the, the rivalries were already in place and a lot of these small, you know, through high school football. High school football was unbelievable. We had a team in, in Odessa. Um, and so that Midland Odessa area, which is really the, the home of Friday Night Lights, um, where the book was written and then later the, the movie, um, so all these little communities, smaller communities had had ongoing uh, rivalries already, whether it be high school football or minor league baseball or what have you. So we tapped into those. And then, you know, the nature of our sport, especially at the minor league level, the physicality and all the rest of it, um, you know, it, it, it became a it became a pretty successful little venture. And uh, and at one point there was a great. Uh, Trivia question: When you asked what state in the country had the most professional hockey teams, and state was Texas for for a long period of time. So, um, no, it was a, it was a fun fun time for sure. Awesome. Uh, last one from me. Um, I did want to bring it back to the Flames for a second, and it's just about Daryl Sutter and the impact that he's had because. I think maybe if you, you know, you look back on your tenure now past seven calendar years, that maybe that's sort of been the one spot, the one blemish on your record might be just in terms of finding the success that you want with your head coach. And, you know, you've gone through a couple, uh, Glenn Gullitson, uh, Bill Peters, Jeff Ward, and now Daryl Sutter. Can you just comment on the process of what that's like. I know it's not easy making those decisions, um, but then finding someone that really clicks with the group that you have. Yeah, for sure. And I, I Daryl deserves a ton of credit and his staff for, for um, the job that they've done. And, you know, with Daryl, I just, it starts number one. I think he's just a top coach. I mean, I, he, there's, there's, you, know, you look at our league and, you know, look at over the history of his time, in all the places he's been, I, I consider him one of the game's great coaches of all time. You know, quite frankly, not just not just of our era, but of all time. And uh, you know, he's a guy that I've known a long time. Um, we talk about the last couple of years and and all the 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 stuff that has has gone on. You know, Daryl's a guy I wanted to try to get in here a while back um, and pull him off the farm, and we had I do some convincing over the last couple of years, but um, he's come in and just had a, a real impact on our team and, and brought some real accountability. Um, you know, there's real clarity with Daryl. There's no, there's no gray. Um, and there's a, there's a certain way that he, he expects players and teams to play and, and uh, he holds people to account, account to that standard. Um, and the, and, and, you know, our guys have really embraced it. I can tell you that guys really enjoy playing for them. There's, like I said, there's, there's accountability, but you know, one thing I, I don't think Daryl gets enough credit for is, um, you know, he's, 
from from an innovative standpoint, um, from a from a data standpoint, from a you know an analytical standpoint, um, he's as he's on he's as on top of those things as any person I've been around um, in terms of really studying um, all the dynamics and you know going through all the data that we have. And you look at you know you look at his teams and the possession numbers and you know the ability to drive play. Um, it's not it's not by accident, and uh, um, so I think he's just had a, a, a wonderful um, impact and a huge impact on our team. Um, I'm not surprised, and like I said, I, I consider him you know one of our game's great great coaches, and and uh, you know I'm I'm glad and lucky that he's part of the group. Brad, uh, we always like to finish with uh, with rapid fire. Uh, some fun questions. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll 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 get going. Uh, we had Ken Holland on a while back, and, pass and he, answer is pass. Yeah, yeah, no, no, pass is not pass an answer. Isn't an answer. No, pass isn't an answer. Um, we had Ken Holland on, and we were telling him about like his introduction as a GM. Like, you know, what was that first time? And he joked about Glenn Sather. You know, a, a call, and he's like, "That's when you realized you're swimming." with the sharks at times. So you'd been an assistant GM for many years, but you'd been the GM. What was, who was the guy that maybe tried to introduce Brad tree living to the, uh, to the sharks of GMing? Well, probably slats, you know, slats. There was a time when I, uh, one, uh, uh, Don Maloney, when I was assistant for Don Maloney, Don had a personal family and she had to go away and I had to, run sort of as from the assistant manager run through my first trade deadline. Now we had everything framed up and who we were going to be, but you know, sort of that first conversation as a young, at that point, I wasn't even a manager, young calls with slats and with Lou, you got one hand on your watch, the other on your wallet and trying to make it through. So you're, uh, you know, dealing with, with those guys as a young, younger guy, that, that's probably your welcome to the air moment. Okay. I'm um, uh, Brad tree living. How much better do you sleep in 2021, 22 compared to last year when your team's winning? Is it noticeably that you sleep easier? Oh, you feel, yeah, I guess that's probably, you're always worried. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's two feelings in this, in this game, it's winning and misery. And, uh, you know, so, so, you know, as much as you feel a little bit better when things are going well, you're worried about what's around the corner. Um, so if you're if your goal in life is to sleep easy, this probably isn't the right profession. So after a big win or depending maybe a tough loss, what is your cocktail of choice? <laughs> uh, I've been known to have a glass of wine. Okay. Merlot, Cab, what are you having? As you get older, Jason, you got to go lighter. So you got to go a little Pinot just to keep okay. things light. Okay. I like it. Now, yeah. of course, uh, your father, uh, Jim, owns the um, Boston Pizza. So what was Brad Tree Living's go-to pizza at Boston Pizza? Oh, Hawaiian. Forget about it. Forget about it. Okay. Full stop. Full stop. Hawaiian. <laughs> no debate. Okay. Um, did you ever come up with an idea over a family dinner for dragon's den for you. Hey, what do you think of this business pitch? Did you ever have a business pitch at the family dinner? No, I didn't. Um, but I had a lot of people that were pitching me to try to get on. So I, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, I played middleman a lot, but you know, so, and it was interesting cause I, you know, when that show first started, I was down in, in Phoenix. So I got two young, at the time, two young daughters and uh, they didn't really know what was going on. They just knew they had, you know, they had grandpa. And then when we came, moved to Canada, they're like, what the grandpa's on TV? What is this all about here? So, um, but no, I didn't have any pitches, but try to facilitate a few. So did you ever facilitate one that got onto Dragon's Den? Well, I, I think they had their own process, but I know that I talked, I can't, there's a few that went, once they, however they went about getting on there, they would call and say, Hey, I'm getting on there. Can you put in a good word? And so, uh, I don't know if they actually ever, I did put in a few good words. I don't know if they helped at all. 
Um, you taught, you formed the, the the co-founder of the W the, the, of course, the WPHL many years ago, Brad, have you, have you ever had any other business plans? Like you, you talked about off ice is going to be your key for hockey. Did you ever have any other interests? Was there ever a time that Brad thought about going out of hockey into a different business? Uh, sure. There's, uh, there's lots of interests you have. I think, you know, um, this, you know, you talked about, I went from sort of playing to right into WPHL process. And then we, you know, did that for a bit and uh, for 12 years and then, and right into, right into, you know, joining the Coyotes um, eight years ago or whatever it was. So, um, you know, it's sort of been, you've been on the treadmill here, kind of going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next in this business, but certainly there's always been a few, uh, you know, you've got some few interests away from the game, but uh, um, we'll, we'll save those to when we have a little bit more time. And lastly, the uh, the Battle of Alberta looks like it's a, it's officially back. There's some animosity between the two teams, and also both teams are very good. So, which player would you rather your team have to defend in the offensive zone on a power play, Drysaddle or McDavid? Either. Okay, that's an answer. Neither. That's like, you know, death by uh, which way do you want to get, you know, which way do you want to end, get ended, your life ended by, by one of those. But listen, they're, they're, you're talking about two of the, maybe the two best players in the world. Um, so it, I think it's great for our province. I think it's great for two, you know, passionate hockey markets to, I mean, look, we're a little bit biased and Jason, you're close to it too. You know, Frank's out there on the wrong coast. He, he doesn't pay attention to what's going on out here in the West, but uh, uh, I think it's a great rivalry of our league and to have it back, you know, is, is great for our league. It's great for our province and great for the game. Oh, I'm with you, man. Like when the Penguins and the Flyers are rivalry, the Rangers and the Islanders, you know, the, the Leafs and the Habs, uh, Oilers, Flames, it's just the league's better when those rivalries, both teams are close to even. So uh, it's been a while for the Vat of Alberta, but uh, it's maybe the most meaningful time we've had in a while. And, and it, it, you know, they're only rivalries when the teams are good, right? Like, yeah, you know, it, that, that, when it means something and uh, listen, we know that that's a, that's a real, that's a top team. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can do our part to make sure that the games mean something down, the, you know, the rest of the way here. Oh, hey, for hockey fans in Alberta, uh, Edmonton, Calgary in the playoffs. It hasn't happened since 90. You were in the East Coast Hockey League, Brad, the last time the Flames and the Orders met in the playoffs. So uh, hopefully that happens this year. Long time ago. <laughs> thanks yeah, for bet. joining us. We really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, guys. There's Brad Treeliving. Fun interview with the GM of the Flames. You know, I got to tell you, of all the things that I thought Brad Tree Living might make news on, it, it was not him injecting himself into the debate on social media of does pineapple belong on pizza? He said, not only that, we talked to him off the air. You got to go double pineapple. Hey, buddy, I love it, Frank. And here's not, a game changer. Not sure how I feel about that. Like, Here's a, ga a game changer for anybody who likes the Hawaiian pizza. Switch out barbecue sauce for your tomato sauce. Just try it once. Just try it. I, I know Game it would change. be good, but here's here is my commentary to to Brad. With all due respect to to Boston Pizza and pizza lovers everywhere in Canada, your pizza in Canada is hot garbage. Come down to Philly. Come down to New York. Come down to actually Boston and get some real pizza. And you yeah, won't be, put any pineapple on it. Trust uh, me. See, I, I like the New York pizza, except it just flops all the time. Not no, yeah. I don't like. I feel like we could insert a joke here: flopping, standing, sitting. We had enough of that for one show. We did have enough of it. Frank, have yourself an awesome weekend. Uh, we will have lots to discuss in uh, what has been a fun week in the National Hockey League on Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on DailyFaceOff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.